This is the Shift Podcast. Rob Fay filling in for Shane. Will we ever be able to hibernate like bears? On the world of the weird things with Greg Fish, we find out if it's possible for humans to take a long nap while we're traveling to space or maybe even just here on Earth. We're going to tell you why you cannot buy your kids Jordans for Christmas. Thanks to Adam Diesel Power, a local sneaker collector and expert, and then basically breaks it down for you. Tells you why you're going to have trouble buying those sneakers because of Canada's supply chain, celebrity endorsements, and product type that are setting us up for failure. And I'm getting mad, but I'm still going to listen to the podcast. And by the way, we also cover the topic of, are you okay with McDonald's? This is the Shift Podcast. Gentlemen, are you okay with McDonald's? I have had the most ridiculous craving for a junior chicken for the past like week. And there's the McDonald's right by my house is demolished it's being rebuilt it used to be a cool like 50s diner style one and they're turning it into the gross modern one devastated over that but i just i have i just want a junior chicken and i'm too lazy to go out and get it and i'm not going to order it in because it's such a small item so yeah if that answers your question sorry i just have chicken on my mind yes i am okay with mcdonald's (laughs) brennan oh i have to say food wise it has been since at least 2015 14 maybe even that i've had any mcdonald's you haven't had mcdonald's in eight years what yeah um i like the coffee though i get the coffee all the time but that's it that's all I get from McDonald's. I miss the old McDonald's. I miss where you go in and have the six foot statue of like Mayor McCheese or the Hamburglar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These have the play centers. Like this used to be a thing. Like the yeah, beauty of McDonald's as a kid is there were coloring books. There were, you know, toys in your meals. There were the whole shebang. Video games. Yeah. But I mean, I just now yeah. it's like spinoffs and whatever. But back in the day, like Mayor McCheese was a was a thing. Yeah, and like the best Grimace. McDonald's is uh, as a child were the ones with the play centers for sure, one hundred percent. Yeah, and there's not too many of them left now. I know there's one on Lundy's Lane in Niagara Falls. There's a play center there. Good. You know that's just a cesspool for germs. <laughs> oh yeah, good. <laughs> it's a good way to build immunity when you're a kid. It's probably well, why if my the mom food doesn't build immunity. <laughs> The inbox says, hey, the taste of McDonald's is nostalgia to me. But most of the, quote, food hates my stomach. Yep. Quote food. I will partake in a Big Mac still. Oh, yeah, you have to. For sure. The best fast food burger. It's just objectively is the best. There are other good burgers, but the Big Mac is perfect. Yeah. The Big Well, I don't know if I call it perfect, but I mean, it it is pretty good. Okay. Our next one. Gentlemen, are you okay with... Wait, wait, wait. wait. The whole story. We We didn't do the the McDonald's. We didn't do the story. I thought our story was better than the story. Fine. Let's go back to McDonald's. Okay. Hold on. I want to do over here. Ready for it, guys? Here we go. Hey, guys. When was the last time you actually ate inside... Dude, I can't do this. 2014, it was in Seattle. Yeah, I've heard. All right. Well, if you do eat in, you're probably going to use the bathroom at some point, whether you want to in a McDonald's or not. But for one Atlanta woman, the McDonald's bathroom became the most beautiful room in the world. And that's because she went right into labor in the McDonald's toilet. 
It was just before 10 Wednesday morning. The lady came in, she was like, are you okay? I said, no, I'm in labor. That this McDonald's restroom quickly turned into Alondria Worthy's delivery room. I don't know if they thought that it was like a joke. I thought that was joking. I opened and she was on this toilet laid back, screaming. Then I knew to tell my crew we're having a baby today. And McDonald's acting general manager, Tanisha Woodward, along with two other employees and Worthy's fiance, DeAndre Phillips, turned into delivery room doctors. I had her legs, both her legs, her feet propped up on my knees. We all are mothers, and so we put our heads together, and all we needed daddy was to do was catch the baby, and he did. Just 15 minutes and three pushes later. She came out head first. It was crazy. I had one worker on this hand, one worker on this hand. I think I bit her. I didn't mean to. This is me. the greatest story. Before we even end <laughs> this, okay. this is... She didn't break my skin. This it is the greatest story it. ever. It was worth it. Nandi Araya Moremi Phillips was born. My baby girl. Where do you get these stories from? This is this is why I was like, you can't skip it. This lady had the like an incredibly successful and easy uh, birth in a McDonald's bathroom in Atlanta and easier the staff to helped her easier to deliver a kid than go through the drive through. What, what did she say? Three pushes and out came the kid. Yeah. By the way, the uh, audio from 11 alive news and they've already given the baby a nickname. Little nugget. Uh, oh dear. That's good. <laughs> oh, come on. That's cute. That's good. If I was born in a McDonald's, I would want a, I would never want to know. Yeah. Well, it doesn't also... sound like the mom had to grimace for long. Oh. I'm here all night, boys. Oh, yeah. Very good. Very good. Thank you. I'm leaving. You guys do the rest of the show. Uh, <laughs> into the inbox, we go very quickly. Trucker Dan saying, so she had an egg McMuffin and her baby wanted to run away. Uh, this one for the 587. My first job was at McDonald's. Two hours and 10 cents an hour flipping wow. burgers. And this from the 905, a walk down memory lane. I remember when McDonald's had aluminum ashtrays with the golden arches imprinted yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. As do I. Item now. I bet you could buy those on eBay. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Gentlemen, are you okay with Monopoly? Mm. Uh, of all the like legacy famous board games, it's very low on my list. It just it just takes too long, and I'm just not that good at it. I I I I, I would rather play Sorry or Life or Risk. Even I, Monopoly, I'm, eh, it's fine. It's because you're not a tried and true blood American capitalist. No, that's very true. I am not a capitalist. So there you go. That's why I, I keep it. <laughs> and Monopoly ends a lot like capitalism, where one guy owns everything in the end. <laughs> yeah. It's Maybe true. it's the conditioning. It's I love true. that. Yeah. Everyone I, else is bankrupt. I'm good with it until you get into the houses and apartments or hotels yeah, or whatever hotels, they are. Yeah. Then you got to pay rent. Yeah. Heaven forbid it's on park place i got a few uh, i've mentioned it before i got a few i like a few of the specialty ones i've got a, a vancouver one i got one for st Catharines, a st Catharines monopoly and then your your <laughs> really? park yeah your park places like you know landmarks in those various cities there's like star wars one there's all different ones so yeah. all right gentlemen games of monopoly can get a little heated i think we can all agree with that especially around the family table this kid went viral after losing his marbles playing Monopoly and giving his entire family the finger. 
By the way, this report says that that game took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh no, no, sorry, no. That's a sep- That's the next thing. That that's from that very much happened in the UK. We have oh, I was going to say, chaotic, <laughs> what neighborhood in uh, Tulsa is that? Yeah, very chaotic uh, game of Monopoly that is a little bit more heated than that one. Okay, yeah. fine. That one from KOTV News. Um, you know the problem with that game is it's too damn long. That's my problem with Monopoly. But you yeah, know what? It, it it takes forever. And uh, sorry, Rob, there is there is more to the actual game in Tulsa. Yeah. Like, well, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll get there. I just wanted to okay. have my gripe first that yeah. it's too long, and that's why. As a guy with ADD, I I usually get yeah. two spins. I pass jail. I collect my two hundred dollars, and I'm fine. But a Monopoly well, game. Now we get to Tulsa, Oklahoma. This one goes way off the rails over the weekend. Police had to. Arrest a man on Saturday after they said that the family game of Monopoly turned violent. Officers responded to a call near 44th and South 89th East Avenue around 6.30 last night. They say a family was drinking and playing Monopoly when John Armstrong seen here and his stepfather started fighting. Police say after knocking over the game board and furniture, they took the fight outside. That's where Armstrong pulled out a pistol and chased his stepfather and stepsister down the street with a gun. Armstrong told police he did fire a round, quote, at the ground. Police arrested Armstrong for assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah, that sounds more like Tulsa. There we go. <laughs> yeah, Tulsa, not the proper British accents like the other one. Yeah, you got 50 quid. I'm not paying it, mummy. I'm not paying it. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, one common criticism from, Monop- from Monopoly is that although it is carefully defined termination conditions, it may take an unlimited amount of, say it with me, everybody, Time to reach them. It really is the open market capitalism game. Like it takes your entire life to to (laughs) get even a small retirement saving. Let's settle something here and now then. What is the appropriate amount of time for one board game per family? Oh, that is a tough question because there are some that take an entire day and that's fine. That's how they're built. And then there's some like Monopoly. For Monopoly, I'm not playing Monopoly for more than 90 minutes. That is the absolute cap for Monopoly for me. That's still a long time. I know. I know. And that's like setting it preferably an hour. Preferably an hour. All the properties won't even be purchased in 90 minutes for (laughs) sure. You'll be stuck in jail for half that time and all. It's just crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever successfully finished a game of Monopoly, to be honest. I think (laughs) everyone just kind of gives up. Yeah, I do. I just quit. The money sticks together. It's too small. I always get the dog. Yeah, and I hate being the banker, too. Banker sucks. You end up cheating. Anyways. All right, let's squeeze in one more because this is what we do here. Gentlemen, are you okay with a tried, tested, and true classic Velveeta cheese? Uh, You know, um, no, I'm not. It's just... Like, I'd rather have the mac and cheese. The powder, it's just easier. But the block of just, like, 
it's almost too yellow. It's just no, not for me. Not not for me. Yeah, I can't say. I think I can pinpoint when I last had McDonald's. I can't say when I last had a Velveeta, oh, like a block of cheese. Twenty fourteen, yeah, yeah, probably it's similar. Been a long time. Yeah. I used to host a, craft singles. I used to host a radio show in Powell River, and they would win the prize if they could come to the station and eat five craft singles by by himself. And two of the four people threw up. Oh, they just the... couldn't digest it. It was too crazy. <laughs> well, I know the rules of of radio contests. You need to have a skill testing question or no. whatever to get. Eat was the that cheese. your skill testing that was question? It. Eat, the, eat cheese, the cheese, keep it down, and you get the prize. Wow. It's a true story, man. Uh, okay, the appeal of microwave meals is their efficiency, gentlemen. But they're really made as quickly, uh, or are they made? <laughs> As quickly as companies claim. Just read the script, Rob. According to one woman, the answer is no. And that woman, of course, is from Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida. Straight drip. That's... The that, clip? That's the Florida intro. That's the that's Florida. They, Anytime we talk about yeah. Florida, we, we play the Florida <laughs> yeah. song. Florida comes up a lot. <laughs> Florida comes up a lot, yeah. so it gets a special oh, intro. I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, you know what? I am totally the square peg in the round hole situation right now. <clears throat> let me let me adjust my belt here really quickly. The uh, signature yellow packaging for the Velveeta shells and cheese claims that the dish can be ready in three and a half minutes. Now, on November the 18th, not long ago... A Florida resident, Amanda Ramirez, filed a $5 million class action lawsuit against Kraft Heinz, which, of course, owns Velveeta, alleging that it takes much longer than that three and a half minutes to prepare this microwavable pasta. I want to bring in Cody Stark, our chief pasta and cheese correspondent from the newsroom with more on this. Hey, Cody. You know, I went to law school just to learn all about this job. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Thank yeah. you for sa- your sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Uh, one woman in Florida is turning up the heat, and if you guys can help me with the teleprompter, gotcha. it's kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. On the Kraft Heinz company, she's filed a $5 million class action lawsuit claiming that the company's Velveeta shells and cheese microwavable cups take longer than the recommended three and a half minutes to prepare. <laughs> and if you're including ripping off the lid and adding water, you know oh what I'm saying? Boy. The company called the lawsuit, quote, I mean, frivolous in a statement to the Washington Post. I feel like I have to say yeehaw at the end of that. I want to know how you become the chief pasta correspondent. Oh, but that was tongue-in-cheek because people from Sacramento are funny. (laughs) I realize it was tongue-in-cheek. Did you hear He's like, hey, I'm the chief cheese analyst. (laughs) Sacramento. Uh, The lawsuit takes particular offense at the fifth step listed on the Velveeta packaging, which claims that, quote, the cheese sauce will thicken upon standing. This time to thicken is apparently also not included in the three and a half minutes. The lawsuit seeks to represent more than 100 individuals. They're all scammers. Along with the $5 million in damages, the lawsuit also asks for Kraft Heinz to, quote, cease its deceptive advertising and be made to engage in a corrective advertising campaign. Or as the news host from Sacramento would say, that's the cheese. I hate when Sacramento, I hate these people that think they're funny or they're not. I do it all night. I hate myself. By the way, into the inbox we go. Velveeta is not cheese. It's disappointment and sadness with orange food coloring. Oh, wow. That's deep. It's a very good point. Yeah. I Have you disagree. tried Cheetos mac and cheese? It's actually pretty good. 
oh i thought it tasted like cardboard i did try it and it was i oof, like yikes not not good Nancy from the Hammer says, I still own some new McDonald's ashtrays. I also have an old Air Canada one as well. Nancy from the Hammer. It sounds like somebody named Nancy from the Hammer would have McDonald's ashtray still. You know, tough, gritty, goes down into the basement. I still got a couple of those. Everyone from the Hammer is gritty and tough. Hey, I'll tell you what, that's an intimidating place. It really is, yeah. This is The Shift Podcast. All right, welcome back to The Shift. Rob Faye once again filling in for Shane Hewitt. And I have to be honest, this is a bit of a guilty pleasure interview for myself. I am a certified sneakerhead, not, of course, to the lengths that some of us are, but I'd like to think I got a couple of pairs that I've been hiding away in my closet away from my wife for a rainy day, just in case. And Ryan, I know you and I have spoken about this at length, about how our love for shoes. And then you double down. And go and find a, a guy that you know by the oh, name yeah. of Diesel Power that's going to probably put the both of us to shame. So, Ryan, let's welcome in Diesel Power to the show. How you doing, fella? Hey, how's it going? Good. Well, Thanks for having and, me. Yeah. It, it's great only because I get to talk shoes. Ryan gets to talk shoes. And we yeah. get us some fresh blood. So I want to start right out of the gate with what I would assume is probably the biggest shoe drop of the entire 2022 calendar, which was the lost and found Jordan wants a correct me if I'm wrong. And B, why was it so impossible to get a pair? So many different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just, uh, it was, I think you're right. Exactly what you said. Um, It was the biggest, the biggest release of the year for sure in terms of sneakers. And I think that's that's the biggest problem there. Um, they had the most pairs, apparently, of any Jordan released in years. Um, but then the hype is insane. And it's twofold. It's people wanting that nostalgic feel, I think, for that original Jordan 1. Um, they did a vintage look on it. It's, it's a really collectible pair. Um, but then the aftermarket um, that I think we'll probably talk about later. But you see the shoes going for almost double. Um or over double in some cases. So people are are entering all these raffles for like a lottery, like winning a lottery type situation, I think, for a lot of people. So let's get into the premise of a lottery because I'm a very big skeptic <laughs> when it comes to this. Now, I don't want to wreck any, you know, connections that you have. I know it's who you know, but let's be honest. I mean, I applied at six different locations, be it Foot Locker or Champs here in BC. And even though I know in a raffle, you, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. I'm walking out of there with nothing. I see buddies walking out with three pairs, you know, dabbing up their friends. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I missing here? Yeah, um, I, I don't even know what to say to that either, because I'm, I'm a longtime sneakerhead. I've been collecting sneakers for over 20 years. I know lots of people. I don't get these shoes. So <laughs> I, I like I, I did luckily win and totally happen chance to win a pair. Um, so, uh, I'm very fortunate with that. Um, but I do know there is like, there's gotta be some backdoor, uh, stuff going on where people are, are giving pairs away to either their friends or people that pay them extra money. These kind of things, people that have maybe businesses trying to sell sneakers, um, are willing to pay that, that bunch extra to get more pairs. Um, but I don't know for my, for my experience, it feels relatively fair, but I enter everything too, and I never win. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. 
there is a um, there's a stigma, of course, between real and fake. And I have this conversation with my buddies when it comes to jerseys all the time, because you can you can if you're a, a jersey head for lack, you know, just use the same terminology here. You can tell in the font, you can tell in the quality of the shirt that, you know, that one he bought probably for half price. It's a knockoff. It's from China or wherever um, with prices going as high as they are. I almost can justify going and buying a, you know, a knockoff pair for the simple fact that let's just say the Jordans were what? Well, they were some around 220, I guess. Yeah. You now on StockX or, you know, GOAT, wherever you're going, are looking at a seven, eight hundred dollar price tag, for example, for the Lost and Founds. By the way, for those who don't know shoes, these are basically a recreate of Michael Jordan's shoes from his rookie year. So, anyways, now we move forward into 2022. Eight hundred dollars. I'm a father of two. There's no way I'm bucking up eight hundred dollars for my kid to get a pair of kicks. But if I go and see that I can get them for $150, just don't wear them in the rain, I can almost justify that in this day and age. Yeah, I don't know. There, there is something to be said about like authenticity when it comes to sneakers. And that's something that I've always kind of prided myself on. And, and our, our close sneaker community is about getting the authentic pairs. Um, I think the big problem is like if you're like you said, if you're someone who can't afford these pairs, doesn't get them, but you really want them spending 100 bucks on a pair. Maybe that's not the end of the world. Um, but I think the problem is when it's like a fake pair that's masquerading as a real pair and you're looking at, you're saying they're seven, $800, somebody who's like, oh, they're only 500 bucks. And you're like, that's a really good price. Maybe I'll grab them. And then those are fake. That to me is, is a real big problem versus like, like back in my day, the slam magazines, you go in the back of slam magazine or, or source magazine, they'd have an ad for like, Air Jordans. And you're like, I know what these are. (laughs) But if you know what they are, then that's different than being like having the wool pulled over your eyes, right? Ryan, you're a lot younger. You know what, guys? You're both a lot younger than me. The worst part that I have is I look at these shoes and I'm like, man, I was around for the first release, the real, the original release. You know, like I look at my (laughs) Penny Hardaway shoes, for example, and I'm like, dude, I used to wear those. Like I used to wear the real first drop when they first came out and now I'm looking at the price and I'm like, man, I should have invested in shoes when I was a young buck. But Rye, you just came back from Vegas with a pretty dope pair as well. Uh, yeah, I, I got lucky there. And it's something to be said here in Canada, how we are set up for failure uh, from our supply chain. Uh, so I, I walked into a, not even a footlocker, like a discount footlocker. And they just had a pair of Brotherhood Jordan 1s sitting, which are um, styled after uh, Jordan's Michael Jordan's frat colors. So they're yellow and purple, very much my style. And I walk in and they're just sitting on the shelf. And I look at the people at the work. And I'm like, do you have that in an 11? And I go, yeah. Why do you say yeah like that? Give me now. <laughs> and sure enough, size 11 got it for retail and those are the resale value on those isn't crazy but still that would almost never happen in canada never because we are like last on nike and adidas's minds when it comes to making sure we get the good stuff which sets us up for more failure because more people are more likely to pay resale pay the 800 bucks or turn to the frankly, the black market and buy knockoffs that were made in a very sketchy way in somewhere else in the world. So it is a amazing feeling to secure a pair for retail in Canada. And that's part of the, it's, it's so much success. And I think it's one of the reasons why like me and Adam 
go after the feeling, go after the lottery. It's a vicious cycle. It's like a cruel, a cruel person taking and giving away. And it it's addicting. It really is. Is there truth to that, Adam? Is there truth to that, that, you know, Canada kind of gets last dibs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Canada <laughs> gets gets totally uh, like glossed over when it comes to, to stock, um, especially compared to America. Like our Nike, um, our Nike Canada, let's say stock, we actually share it with Europe. So when you order shoes from Nike Canada, they always come from Amsterdam. Yep. So you're you're actually sharing the stock. And I think that's why, like, if you want to get shoes on Nike, you're waking up at in Calgary here at 4 a.m., in, in Toronto, you're at 6 a.m. In, in Vancouver, you're 3 a.m. Just to get a chance. And that's not even like if you're the first one there, you get them. It's like that's another raffle. That's another lottery that you're entering your name into hoping to win, which I've never won. Um, I've never won a Nike, neither. a Nike release. So not yeah. one. I did not know that we share the pot with Europe. That infuriates yep. me. It's yeah. and it's bad, especially this time of year. Last year, Shane and I both bought a pair of Nike ACG Mountain Flies, which are basically winter slash hiking shoes. Amazing. And ours both came from Amsterdam. Mine arrived in three weeks. His arrived in three months. Took three months and three different calls with three different Nike reps to get those shoes from point A to point B. We don't even have a distribution hub here that's proper enough to handle the ridiculous demand just because we have less access to market here doesn't mean that we want less of them all right we're talking sneakers here on the shift uh you know ryan's hanging out with me diesel powers hanging out with me i need a much cooler uh name as of now as of this conversation let's switch gears from shoe drops and jordans and talk yeezys because obviously kanye west in the news for all the wrong reasons over the last couple of months adidas finally saying hey enough is enough we got to get away but yeezys for what it's worth is a very big industry how affected will not just adidas be from the dollars and cents perspective but from stock and supply are are the yeezys going to go up in price are they going to be harder to get or are they going to just try and get rid of all the stock that they have so that they can finally separate from yay and all of his uh you know troubles yeah i think from from an adidas standpoint it's exactly the second thing you said dump all your stock get rid of all the yeezys and apparently they are going forward they're going to still be releasing the the Yeezy shoes without any Yeezy branding. So like they own all the rights to all the shoes. I, I don't think that 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 Ye really had a hundred percent of of his input. Like it wasn't him a hundred percent. It was designers, a lot of it, um, working at Adidas that are designing his shoes. So they obviously own the rights. It's Adidas. They own the rights to everything. They're a big company. Um, so I think they're gonna kind of dump what they can of the Yeezy branded stuff. And then keep doing doing all that stuff. But then back to your sort of first point was um, talking about like maybe the secondary market. And definitely these these Yeezy branded shoes, I think, are going to start booming on the secondary market once once Adidas kind of like cuts full ties and says we're not releasing anymore. You're going to see his stuff probably go up in price. Um, I mean, depending who you are, if you feel an ethical or moral responsibility to not own these shoes, to not wear these shoes. That's a whole nother thing. Um, but I do think there will be a secondary market for these shoes, um, especially even as like his Nike ones that he did years and years ago that are already crazy on the secondary market are like they've already boomed. I think I think they've yeah. gone again since since all this happened. 
when Travis Scott had his challenges with the concert and, and all the things that came with that, I was wondering how much of a blip on the radar it would be when he had his bad press. And it didn't really see it didn't really seem to affect that. Same no. with Kanye. So I guess my question is the shoe game bigger than the celebrity who endorses or collabs. Yeah, I think I think it is like the shoe game has been there before these celebrities were around. It's like like Kanye West will always say like, oh, I invented sneakers or like I I, I like built this shoe empire. And it's like you did not like Addy Dazzler and Nike and Phil Knight have been doing this for for years and years before you. And they'll be doing it for years and years after. So I think that the, the shoe game is bigger than than these people. And whether it's like, let's say Travis Scott, same thing. Like he designed some pairs, he helped with them. Nike can still take those designs and run. Nike can can do more Jordan ones. They don't need Travis Scott to sell Jordan ones. They'll still sell Jordan ones as is. It, it, it's interesting to me because when I grew up, it was Bo Jackson, it was Charles Barkley, it was Sean Kemp, and of course Michael Jordan. Um, when was it when it started to become more celebrity based, like the Kanye Wests and the music world starting to to really dabble in? I don't need a year specifically, but it just seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. Like for me, obviously, the Travis Scott's were a, a really big thing because next thing you know, it's like fifteen thousand dollars for a pair. And I'm like, this is ludicrous. But when did the mainstream Hollywood decide that they wanted to get in the shoe game? I guess when they saw the money. Yeah, I think. um I think that you can maybe pinpoint to somebody like like Ye. I think he yeah. was probably the one that kind of pushed that sort of non-athlete into that world and becoming bigger than than sort of just just another collaboration. Um, I mean, somebody like Eminem has been doing that for a long time. Run DMC had their shoe collaborations um, like way back. So there were other other people that were doing it before him, but to the level that he was doing it was like, more than just like a one-off collaboration. It was like, this is my whole line, right? Like doing the Michael Jordan type style of like, this is my line of Nike shoes. This is, Ye is his line of, or Yeezy is his line of Adidas shoes. And so I think you can definitely pinpoint to to Kanye, but I know like, I think we've talked about this, Ryan, but like, I'm, I'm a little older than this new generation. Yeah. And it's like, I got into sneakers because I play basketball and I wanted basketball shoes. The entry but a lot point of is different. People younger are like, Oh, I like Kanye. I'm into mm-hmm. sneakers. Or like I like yeah. Travis Scott. I'm into sneakers. Like it comes from a different world. So definitely it really does. Things, things have shifted. It, things really have shifted. And I think the well, well, there's a lot of baggage that comes now that we're realizing with having a celebrity being your access point into the market. Uh, so at first, big names that we grew up with, like I can still remember like when 808s and Heartbreaks dropped when I was in grade nine, the, everybody in high school was listening. And then the shoes dropped. It was a cultural phenomenon. And now after Kanye has gone off the deep end and we see some vulnerabilities in celebrities and we, you know, that kind of thing, people are saying, okay, well, why am I really wearing these shoes? Why am I really enjoying them? And I think some people are coming to terms with like, I'm literally just wearing this because it's hype. Some people used the hype as an access point and then discovered, wow, this is a really amazing community. That's kind of what happened with me. I just wanted to kind of rep some fashion and feel some more confidence. And I discovered an amazing community and a fascinating industry. And so I think now we're at this bit of a crossroads where we are going to figure out if we let hype and stock 
decide if that's what we're what if dictate what we're buying or if we're going to use that and more so i want to wear these because i like them and uh value has dictated so much in the sneaker industry over the past 10 years really and now this is a pretty interesting turning point and i mean even the lost and found jordan ones I think they made 50,000 or 70,000 for North America alone. And if that shoe had come out three years ago, that would have been a $2,000 shoe and it's $800 and it's still ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, but I can't look at, I can't help but look at that and see some kind of progress. Some kind of diesel power. Before I let you go, Ryan brought up a point to me that nearly ruined my Christmas for me the other night when he said that there was potential for mold in some of these lost and found shoes have you heard this and if so what am i talking about here i have i have seen those pictures um and yeah yeah some people are getting their pairs and it looks like some pretty rough mold usually around the collar of the shoe um around the back on the leather um and pretty gross gross stuff It, it a lot of it is just conditions i think like shipping the shoes it has nothing to do with the shoes themselves i don't think it's just where they're made, shipping them, cold, warm, cold, warm, all that kind of stuff. Stuff, stuff festers and grows. But it kind of it kind of adds to the sort of fun of the lost and found shoe where it's like, like this sneaker is supposed to be like it was found in like an old stock found in like a mom and pop shop in the 90s that was sitting there for a decade. So you've got the cracked leather, you've got the dusted soles, you've got um, like around the midsole. So like a little bit of mold around the collar is like kind of, kind of on brand. So <laughs> if it's health, health inspector might not like it, but you know what, damn it, it looks good. And it tells a good story. Diesel power. I know you've had a, a rough week health wise. Thank you for making time for us today. I really appreciate this. Um, we'll be able to repost this so more people can listen to it, but thank you for your time today. Before you leave one quick question, what is the one pair of sneakers, the one pair of kicks you got that you're hiding from the world that you're just going to bring out one day and be like, you know, booyah, look at this. Oh, nothing. <laughs> I, I wear every single pair that oh, I have. Really? Like, oh, really? Okay. I will wear it out of the store. Like I, I have to get them on my feet. I love wearing sneakers. So, you know, what? I respect that. Actually, some people, they buy it and they store it for rainy day, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark episode. But good for you for wearing it. So what's your go to? You got one one day left on this planet. What's the shoes you're rocking? The white and red Air Jordan 11s, low top ones. Um, they're just the ones that kind of got me into it. One of my favorites. I've got a couple pairs of them. Great there's choice. there's a mid top version coming out in a couple weeks. So I'm that that's my pair, white and red. My mom wouldn't buy them for me. Um, I remember that in high school. And then when I got a job, it was like, well, they're mine now. And that that I'll never forget it. So that that's how it ends up going, man. I appreciate this. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. It is time for that weird world. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Gregory, good morning. How are you today? How's it going? It's okay. You know, I was uh, briefed on what we were going to talk about today, and it leads me to one of my favorite movies. It is currently on Netflix. That, of course, being Passenger. Passenger, I can't even say it. With um, with young Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I was actually thinking about whether I'm going to reference that in the article or not. I decided not to because it was a little bit 
uh, too much of a low uh, of a low hanging fruit there for me. Oh, sorry to eat from the ground, uh, Greg. Let's talk about this. I want to talk about the science of human hibernation and whether sci-fi, where astronauts travel to distant stars asleep in suspended animation for years, could this actually become a real thing? If you talk to a number of scientists, they will swear that it should be a real thing because a lot of mammals kind of in our in our evolutionary lineage are able to hibernate. So it just seems like we really should be able to. We just turn on a couple of genes or figure out a way to stimulate those genes to turn back on and produce the necessary enzymes and, and products and metabolic changes. And then we should be able to hibernate. And there are some indications that we can go into a state of suspended animation for short periods of time. And the question is okay well we can maybe do that for a couple days maybe a week at most but can we do this for a period of months if not potentially years and the research is still very new and the jury's still very much out on that on a column that you wrote a couple of days back at your website worldofweirdthings.com which is a great website by the way you really break it down into, you know, okay, we're talking about the fact that once you get to this new world, it could be amazing, but getting there is the hard part. It's boring, it's tedious, there's the whole vacuum of space. I I just don't know if my little brain, my pea brain, can wrap around the whole, uh, the timing of, you know, how many years would it take to get to said planet? I mean, can that even, I don't know, you got to answer this for me, is that even possible? It depends. With our current technology, absolutely not. With some of the technology that we're working on, yes, it's possible to do that in a human lifetime if we're going to our nearest um, our nearest solar, solar system neighbor. But if we go anywhere beyond that, that's probably completely out of reach. Like we have to be going some percentage of the speed of light this to be even feasible. And again, it's going to take a very, very, very long time and it's going to be a very boring journey. There's gonna, there's not going to be a lot of things happening. There's going to be a lot of darkness and a lot of maybe little stars here and there to light your path. And that's really about it. I don't know. doesn't sound very appealing unless something on the other side is well worth it. But you brought up another point that I thought was a really intriguing one that is perhaps a little more realistic. The potential to hibernate here on Earth. I mean, we talk about the stars and go into these far, far away galaxies, but how is it possible? And by the way, one of my favorite baseball players of all time, Ted Williams, cryogenically frozen, which is still a thing. There's people out there that do it in hopes that one day there will be a cure for cancer. They can be resuscitated and maybe go on to live a better life. But let's just talk hibernating here on Earth and and what that looks like. So cryogenics is basically its own topic. And I feel like I should probably do a segment on that and kind of like the state of where we are with it and, and what it actually is going to look like. Hibernation, very different. And the thought is, so right now, if someone has to be in a medically induced coma because of a trauma or a stroke or something or something very serious that has happened and we essentially need them to be immobilized, we have to put tubes down their throat. We have to have heart, heart and lung machines hooked up to them. We have to have wires hooked up to them. There's a lot of um, immune response, very negative immune response. There's a lot of inflammation. Uh, there may be some internal bleeding. There is um, 
uncontrolled reflexes like shaking. There's uh, a great potential for infection. If you were to able to get a person to hibernate for that duration of that potentially induced coma, you won't need feeding tubes. You won't need any of this intrusive stuff. They would be able to essentially just let their bodies heal over an extended period of time with medical supervision. They would recover much faster. They would come to much easier, and their recovery should be a lot shorter. So that's actually one of the biggest reasons why a lot of doctors and a lot of clinicians are very excited about the idea of human hibernation. And there, they're getting pretty close to thinking, well, we don't need years or months like in space travel. If we could just do it for two, three weeks, that would already be absolutely enormous. Like that would that would save literally hundreds of thousands of lives and improve literally millions of outcomes uh, over decades. Is this not just a, a, a coma? Like what, if you correct me if I'm wrong, obviously a coma, there's tubes and all the other things that go with it. But I guess let me ask you this, Greg, what is the difference between being in a medically induced coma and, and a medically assisted hibernation? So there's actually we also need to talk about what the difference is between sleep and hibernation. Correct. It's actually a very important difference. So sleep is when your body essentially recharges and cleans your brain from all of the side effects of essentially, well, being alive and awake and conscious. Um, So while you're sleeping, your cerebrospinal fluid keeps flooding your brain in phases to get rid of something called tau proteins. These are waste, harmful waste byproducts of your brain's daily activity. And if your brain doesn't do that, you will die. Um, So that's very, very important. Now, your body can recharge energy in other ways. You can just rest and then feel better. You can eat and feel better. But that whole washing out your brain, cleaning out all of the waste products and allowing your brain through sleep to kind of defrag itself, clean up its memories, form better connections, that appears to be the main and most important function of sleep. There may be others. We don't know for a fact. Uh, we're still This is still instantly, intensely studied, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking essentially about a daily cleaning ritual. Now, hibernation is a lot more different, is a lot more complicated, uh, because in hibernation, your body essentially enters a state of suspended animation your metabolism slows to an absolute crawl. Essentially, your body goes to the verge of death, but doesn't quite cross over. It just keeps itself alive just enough to where you're consuming the absolute minimum of resources. And the entire idea, how it evolved, was there's very sparse resources. So you kind of have to minimize your use of what you have to make it to the next season. So it's essentially kind of like putting your body on pause. And that's, again, this is this is where we get the concept that humans should be able to do it. A lot of mammals in our evolutionary lineage um, are able to do that. And they do that in winter when supplies are scarce, when the climate is harsh. They, they eat as much as they can while they're still walking around and active. They go into a burrow, they try to get as nice and warm as they can, and then they completely drop their temperature and metabolism to the absolute lowest that it will go, wait out the season, and then wake up over a period of about a day. I would assume that there is a moral conflict with this. I mean, we talk about this from obviously the science and the tech angle, but 
There's got to be a moral compass here in the fact that obviously the world is already overpopulated with more than 8 billion people here. And now all of a sudden we find ways to hibernate so that we can elongate our lives and further populate this world. Is that something that comes into play? Like I know that from a science perspective, who cares? But I mean, there's a reason that there's a circle of life, no? No, that actually doesn't come into play uh, at all. So there is some idea that you would increase your lifespan, but it's not going to be by that much. It's We're talking about maybe a couple of years um, at the very most. And then the other thing about our current global population is that it's hitting its peak where essentially all of the people who've been born and basically all of the population that we're counting is has been locked in. But if you look at long-term trends, human population is actually dropping. And we actually did a segment on this years ago uh, where people who are actually looking at current demographic trends are saying, okay, sometime in the middle of the century, we're going to hit that absolute peak humanity and then it's just going to plunge from there. And the plunging is because despite the fact that life expectancy in certain countries is higher than it's ever been, there's still an aging populace. Is that what I'm getting from this? Yes, that's exactly why. So we are having fewer children. Um, we are living longer. We are having children later. A lot In a lot of countries where you have uh, industrialization and you have family planning and you have birth control and you have better health care, the number of children keeps dropping as well. So basically, we're adjusting to the fact that the planet can only support so many of us and we don't need to have 12 children because all of our kids are very, very likely to survive thanks to medicine, vaccines, preventative care, um, and, and so on and so forth. And that's only going to get better as we go further. You know, you referenced it in the article that you put out just a couple of other days at worldofweirdthings.com, and then you wrote about it a couple of years ago. I was just researching this, and you were talking about warp drive, and you mentioned it right in the first paragraph of the story that you just put out about the fact that, you know, with warp drive still, and I'm going to quote you on this, with warp drive still very much eluding our grasp, Space agencies are wondering if there's a way that humans could just sleep their way to the stars. Let's get into, if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of throw a curveball at you here, but let's talk about warp drive. We always talk about time and and how far can we get in, all these kind of things. Can you explain to me why warp drives are such an intriguing thing to some? Well, they would essentially allow us to bend space and time to go wherever we want much faster than the speed of light would ordinarily allow instead of so there's a reason why there's a speed limit like the speed of light in the vacuum is the fastest you can go mm-hmm. and that reason has to deal with very complicated physics but it boils down to the fact that your mass increases the faster you go so at some point when you try to go at almost 99.9 percent the speed of light your mass becomes almost infinite. So to hit that that light speed would take infinite mass and basically would give you infinite mass and require infinite energy. So obviously that doesn't work. So what do we do? Well, according to the theory of relativity, as we can, and as we can see by black holes, if you can bend space, you should be able to move it faster than the speed of light because... The speed of light is the speed of light because the properties of space and time. If you've now bent space and time, 
you can kind of do whatever you want and it just depends on whether you can summon enough energy to manipulate it and that's kind of where the problem gets in because we understand that okay we formed the space-time bubble we can get it moving a lot faster than light the problem is it already has to be formed moving faster than light and we don't know how to do that and that's really what's kind of holding up the uh, the whole idea of the warp drive but if we had it then we wouldn't be worried about well you know it's going to take a really long time to get to another solar system that wouldn't that would no longer matter we can pop into our spaceship with a warp drive and you know a month later we're on proxima centauri um, another month later we're on barnard star another month after that we're going to sirius and tau ceti and and so on and so forth I, I honestly feel like I'm speaking to a professor of everything every time you and I get on this together. It's really interesting to me because it's stuff that I just – my brain doesn't have this capacity. But as I look through your website, World of Weird Things, you think in these circles and you think of these things. And you know, even something as simple as hibernation that we think bears are doing – uh, you say, you know what, there's a possibility that humans could do it. So I always find it so interesting that you go to these links to find these quirky stories. How does your brain work? Like, when does it turn off? It doesn't. It's a curse. You can ask my <laughs> wife about it. She will She will complain very bitterly about this. Like, we've already, uh, Shane and I have already established that she's a saint. I just want to repeat that to, to, to make it well known. I love it. I, I think it's a fantastic conversation piece. Uh, this one coming into the inbox, nothing in space can move faster than the speed of light. However, space can move as fast as it wants. It makes the rules. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's essentially it. That's that's the whole point. Uh, it's uh, the manipulating. If we learn how to manipulate space that we like, like I said, can basically do anything because the shape the laws of physics on the grand scale are determined by the shape of space and time so if we can manipulate that we're good it's just trying to figure out how to direct the energy to do that that's the part that we're a little bit stuck on we know that it involves lasers though that's that's about all we know it involves magnets and lasers somehow I love it. I love how you said that warp drives have eluded our grasp and that the world is hinging on lasers and that kind of technology. What a conversation. Thank you for making time for me. I know that you come back and do this on the regular, but for me to dip in and be able to have this conversation, I'm better for it. So let's talk again, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 